Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Saba Haruni Luri. She's the owner and founder of Take Root Therapy, a supportive and effective psychotherapy practice located in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles. In addition to being a licensed marriage and family therapist and board-certified art therapist, she's also a mother, a partner, and someone who enjoys deep introspection. Her philosophy is that self-acceptance and living with intention can change the world. Besides the work that she does with clients and while running her small business, Saba serves as a professor at Loyola Marymount University in the Marriage and Family Therapy Art Therapy Department. Welcome, Saba. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm excited to have on as our guest, Saba Haroni Luri. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. What an honor for me. Oh, thank you. So, I know we've been talking about wanting to have a discussion on this podcast about the kind of work that you do with gender and sexuality and how that relates to the therapeutic process. Mm -hmm. So the goal is, it sounds like, to develop a healthy sexual identity. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? So I think healthy really means what feels empowering for you, what feels good to you, and how can you be really honest with yourself and look at yourself with compassion, with love as you embrace, as you develop the sexual piece of who you are. I'm thinking about a client that I worked with a long while ago and how I began asking this question of when did you first experience yourself as, as sexual? And initially clients would often respond with, oh, well, I first had sex when I was this age, or this is how that first happened. And then kind of confronting even that and saying, is that when you first became sexual and helping them consider, oh, well, when I was first aroused, it was at this time, or this is when I first masturbated, or this is when I first explored my body. And for some folks, there's a lot of empowerment, even in those stories, but for many, and I would offer for many women, we haven't always had space to explore our sexuality in a way that is empowering. So beginning to really confront even that, like, oh, I first identified as sexual or had sexual feelings at this time and that was met with a lot of shame or and that was met with folks telling me that wasn't appropriate. So the idea of a healthy sexual identity is one in which we can embrace these parts of ourselves. We can be really honest with who we are. And then if that translates to being really honest and vulnerable in a partnership and having them engage with us too and honoring our our sexuality, great. And some folks choose to or are by nature in relationships solely with themselves. So being able to honor that in their own relationship, who they are sexually is really important. Got it. Do you want to tell me maybe a little bit about how you got into this niche of therapy and this type of topic and why it is of interest to you in therapy? Yes, absolutely. So I first became interested in the ideas of gender and sexuality, which are really two distinct, very distinct things, but also can impact one another. But I first became interested in them when I was, I want to say pre-adolescence. I think I was reading a book called Promiscuity when I was 11 or 12. Um, So I've really been 
considering these things for a long time. I also minored in gender studies. And when I was an undergrad, I facilitated a class on female sexuality. So there's always been this really rich tapestry of things that I've been interested in with regards to both gender and sexuality. And then, of course, my own experiences have informed my curiosity, have informed my work with clients, and helping them understand and explore their gender, their sexuality, the intersection of the two for them. Got it. And when you decided to go into the field of psychology, did you know that this is what's kind of a specialty that you really wanted to focus on? Yes. I mean, I think, of course, things have changed over time. And there's been a lot of evolution in my process as a therapist. But I've always been really interested in these things. My, my thesis, my research project as a graduate student in my marriage and family therapy, art therapy department was on women and violations and how those can be explored through the art and also how we can help women address them in the work. So it's been a big piece of, of what I was interested in studying. And more recently, it comes into my work more organically with clients. I tend to not set an agenda, of course, with clients. I want them to do the work that they're wanting to do. So they set the goals, they set the tone of our work together. But I I work really hard to make space for those conversations to happen. And they often, they often do. The work does often go to these areas where we can really explore our client's gender, our client's sexuality. And that's happened a lot, even more so in the past four years, given the political environment that we're living in. Got it. Do clients come to you specifically because they know that they want to explore these topics? That's pretty rare, to be honest. I think most of the time folks come in because they're going through a difficult transition or they're experiencing some depression and or anxiety. And then in our work together, I tend to do more long-term work with clients. This becomes one of the areas that we really explore. Got it. So it kind of veers towards that direction because it's kind of, there's a richness of discussion there, I'm sure. Got it. So maybe just in terms of thinking about how the therapeutic process kind of veers towards those topics. Maybe could you give us a general example of how things move in that direction and then how you would work with that? Yeah, those are good questions. So the way that I conceptualize therapy, especially at the start, is that I want to know the person that's sitting across from me, including how their relationships, how their experiences inform or influence who they are today. So we begin our work together by I think really visually. So we begin our work together by making this really big mural. And I want to be able to fill in these different areas and some parts will have more detail than others, but I want to know who you are across all of these different facets, these different sides of you. And so when clients come in and they want to talk about a relationship, they want to talk about a relationship that they're getting out of, that they're getting into, that impacted them historically, we'll look at the different pieces, including the attachment pieces, and also frequently what their sexual relationships have looked like and how that's influenced who they are, how they see themselves today. After Trump was elected, we saw a big influx of clients seeking services here in LA and Los Feliz. And a lot of the clients that I saw were really beginning to confront their own experiences of having their boundaries violated, experiences of sexual trauma, sexual assault. And so that also brought a lot to the work that we were doing and how those experiences may have derailed their healthy 
identity as a sexual person or have impacted in other ways. So those are some of the ways that we've done that work. Right. So it sounds like the discussion in therapy around sexuality and gender is to develop a strong sense of what your identity is, your pure identity, you know, separate from kind of the constraints of what society says you should be, right? And I'm assuming a lot of work in therapy around that is to figure out what is a societal constraint versus what you gravitate towards personally as your true self. Right, right. We get these messages from family, from society, from the media, and they make it so difficult to really listen to our inner voice, our our inner desire, our inner excitement. And so having space to explore these things that we are often told not to explore, I think is so important and so worthwhile. And that's one of the things that I think therapy will allow folks to do and to have someone sitting with you. I think there's also so much shame around sex and sexuality that if and when people do explore these parts of themselves, they're either doing it internally or they're looking at pornography, maybe they're reading some erotica, maybe they're writing erotica, which would be really cool. But very rarely are we sitting with someone else and inviting them into this process with us. And the beautiful thing about having someone sit with you, having a therapist sit with you who's trained in this, is that we can provide a really corrective experience, one, that we can create this space and ask questions and maybe help you shine lights and parts that you wouldn't have considered before. And to look at things from these different perspectives and be really helpful in this process of accepting and embracing all of you. Right. And I'm assuming also a large part of it is how to process the shame associated with that. Yeah. I mean, we know that shame lives in the dark. So being able to talk about it, being able to look at it, process it and work through it is really important in the work that we do. And shame can really inhibit our sexual experiences, our sexual identity in developing. So if we can work through it, then there's so much hope for us as we move forward in relationship with ourselves and with others. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, I know we're talking, I mean, this interview, we're talking about sexuality and gender and, you know, there's some overlap, but there's such different topics as Mm -hmm. well. And I mean, when we talk about kind of just someone's true self, I think that not only encompasses their gender, but uh, kind of their perceived gender, but also Mm -hmm. kind of their idea of what their sexuality is. But maybe could we veer more towards the kind of the gender part of things and how you work with that in therapy? Of course. So I work with folks across the gender spectrum. So with women, with men, with folks that are non-binary, with folks that are transitioning or transgender, it runs the gamut. And so my, my approach is to really be with clients wherever they are, however they identify, and to, and to be really curious about who they are specifically and how in their experience, their gender may have influenced or informed their sexuality. I will say that most of the work, the work that I've done has been with women and with women, a lot of the work is in undoing some of the narratives that they've internalized that have been really unhelpful and recognizing those narratives and then helping them establish new ones with regards to their sexuality. And thinking about the past four years too, I've worked with a number of men who have come in really struggling with, but eager to confront their narratives and some experiences they've had in which they feel really ashamed of how they may have engaged with someone else. Folks are having to really look at the messages that they've internalized 
and the harm that those messages have done and then recreate a new narrative, recreate their stories and who they want to be moving forward. So while they may have done harm in their past, if they're sitting with this shame and they're sitting with these experiences and they don't have anywhere to process them, to really reckon with their own part and how they want to do better and be better, then we just continue to live in shame. So my hope is to provide folks with space to confront anything that they've also experienced as harmful to others to consider how they can move forward and make amends if it's possible to. Okay. Interesting. Do you often walk someone through the process, their transitioning process? In terms of gender? Mm -hmm. I think I walk beside someone, right? So my clients, the way that I think about therapy is that our clients are the experts of their experience. And I am the expert in terms of how to offer support in terms of how therapy works and it can look, but I'm not going to walk you through your experience because it's yours. It's yours to determine how you want it to look and what you want it to look like. So folks are transitioning or maybe they're identifying as non-binary or identifying as transgender and they're not necessarily interested in having top surgery or having any type of surgery or taking hormones or they want to take hormones. They're going to be the ones that dictate what that's going to look like. And my role is to be here to provide support and to affirm whatever steps they want to take next, if any. Got it. Okay. So when you do the work with clients, do you often suggest that they kind of do reading in conjunction with the therapy to kind of educate themselves about this? Or, I mean, if you think about gender and someone really examining their gender identity and you're walking beside them through the process, what are kind of some other tools that you kind of bring into that process to maybe help normalize it for them maybe? Yeah. So um, one, there are certainly, there's tons of reading available and there's films available that can offer different perspectives on our experiences of identifying our genders, of figuring out what feels right for each of us. So I would certainly encourage folks to to read, to watch films, to listen to podcasts, and depending on what someone is wanting to work through or what they're looking at, then we can identify resources for them specifically. And then my hope is that we can look at what what came up after said reading or film viewing, what feelings came up, what thoughts came up. I encourage clients, if they have the space to, to write down thoughts throughout the week, to write down feelings that they've had throughout the week so that we can consider what prompted them, what they're responding to, and how how we can understand the thoughts and the feelings that they're having. Do you often recommend that people take part in therapy groups as well? Yes, and that has to be the right kind of group. And I have found that a lot of clients are really reluctant to be in a group. I've facilitated groups a while back when I was working at an IOP and I've seen the capacity for groups to be really transformational and really helpful. So I certainly would encourage clients to engage in groups, but I can appreciate how it could be really uncomfortable given that I think it's hard enough for folks to come in here and be vulnerable with me and to then think about being vulnerable with, you know, five to seven strangers could be a big task. So I think it's useful if the person who's being encouraged to attend a group is open to it and if it feels useful to them. 
Mm-hmm. Got it. So I guess it just depends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the answer to everything, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we had talked a little bit earlier about maybe not all clients come to you with the main concern being their sexuality or trauma around trying to explore that or shame associated with that. But when you do explore someone's sexuality, where do you start? Right. That's a great question. So I think, again, many folks are coming in because they're going through a transition or they're experiencing depression and anxiety. And so we look at the impact that it's having on their sense of self, and that includes how they're engaging with themselves sexually, with a partner or solo. And one of the questions that I'll ask is, when did you first identify yourself as a sexual being? When did you first experience your sexuality? And I've had clients do some writing about that. I'll have them journal, kind of revisiting the experience they've had, or experiences, plural, and considering the feelings that come up for them and writing those down as well. Any thoughts that they have, any suggestions that they would want to make to this this younger version of themselves, any fears that came up that maybe they were really reluctant to address when it was happening, but maybe we can look at them now and offer a different response and ignoring that, which may have been the way that they responded as a teen or in their 20s. So a lot of the work that we do is kind of considering how these things influenced how they are engaging in their relationships now and understanding any patterns that they may have developed, and then working to undo any that have been unhelpful to them at this stage in their lives. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe kind of an example of a typical case. Right. So I'm thinking about what, right, a woman who may come in and is, they're getting into a relationship. They had gone through a messy breakup before. It was really painful. Maybe they are now excited and also nervous about getting into this new relationship. And sex is coming up with this new partner and they're not feeling confident about how they want to engage with this partner sexually, or they're noticing that sometimes they will, what would I'll call check out quote unquote, or dissociate during sexual experiences with their partner. So we'll look at what's happening in the here and now. We're going to look at what's happening in this current relationship, but I'm also going to ask you about what happened in past relationships. And that's where this question of, when did you first, you know, experience yourself and your sexual identity is going to come up? And what I mentioned before, but is that some folks will say, oh, well, I first had sex when I was 17. And I'll say, but when did you really first identify yourself as a sexual being? Or when did you first experience sexual feelings? And that's not when they first had sex for most clients, for most of us. So we kind of will look back even further and we'll look at the messages that they received and how that impacted the way that they were engaging in any sexual relationship and how maybe it's caused some impediments to connecting with themselves authentically and then connecting with partners authentically. So that's where we're going to begin to, you know, unpeel this onion, unwind this ball of yarn and do some corrective work on what messages did you receive? What did you tell yourself when this was happening? How did it feel in your body? And what do you wish was different? Why did X or Y or Z happen? And how else could it have happened? And how could that happen now? How can that you know, exploration exist in your relationship now? How can honoring how you feel exist in your relationship now? Is there room for us to invite that? How would it be for you to have had boundaries 
when you were 17 and what would it look like to have boundaries now in this new relationship? What do you wish you had said yes to? What do you wish you had said no to? And is there space for you to really connect with and honor those parts of yourself now as someone who has this insight and can be intentional and can have compassion for the 17-year-old you, but also recognize that 29-year-old you doesn't need to do things in the same way, that she can do things differently and that this is her relationship and she can determine how she wants to engage in it. And if it's about solo sex, if it's about masturbation even, there's so much shame around that. There's so many of us that weren't, you know, <laughs> I want to say encouraged to, but weren't permitted to consider what it would look like, what it feels like, what we want, what we don't want. And so here we are as adults trying to figure out relationships with others, trying to figure out a relationship with ourselves, having really disregarded this piece of who we are. So taking the time and having the space to be vulnerable, be honest, be curious can be really rewarding and be really fruitful. Mm -hmm. Do you ever work with couples? Yes. Yes. I work with couples and we have therapists on our team that work with couples too. Got it. Would it ever be that you would see someone individually? It's clear that this is kind of coming up in the relationship and you need to bring the other partner in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that could be for a couple sessions where it's in support of the individual client. And I've had clients where it, it transforms into couples work, where there's a lot of work that needs to be done with, within the couple interpersonally. It can be really helpful to make that change. The modality that I use for couples work is emotionally focused therapy, because I find that the biggest hurdle for many of us is this vulnerability it's hard to be honest and vulnerable with ourselves. It's hard to be vulnerable with a therapist sitting across from you and with our partners whom we choose, it can be really difficult too. And so that emotional intimacy can be hard to come by. And when it comes to sex, if we've lived with 30, 40 years of messaging that is loaded with shame, that makes it really difficult to honor, to address, to confront these parts of who we are, then of course it's going to be really hard to do that with the partner. So having someone help, navigate that and help, you know, the partners turn to each other and be really open and be really loving and honest about what they're wanting in the relationship I found can be really helpful, but that's hard work. I'm not going to sit yeah. here and say that it's easy. It's really hard. What about people who come in that just are unsure about their sexuality and yeah. how to move forward? Sure. I mean, I would suggest that a lot of us are unsure of different parts of our lives. So I think my hope is to meet folks wherever they are and to do with them the work that they're prepared to and they're wanting to do. And there's no right or wrong way to approach this. There's no rule book that says you have to do this and then that and then the other. My hope is that therapy feels doable, that it feels supportive. And so what that means is, of course, people are going to come in with uncertainty and ambivalence, and that's totally fine. And we can sit with that together. We can look at it together, and then you can determine the path you want to take, and I'm going to support you in doing that. So maybe just this acceptance of being unsure and not knowing, and that's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I mentioned transitions a few times, but when I also when I think about transitions, I think about getting married, coupling, separating all of these transitions to having a baby and what all of those entail. And often, you know, we're told, oh, this is going to be great and it's the best and congratulations. And there's a lot, there's this big underbelly that we don't always look at. So that's where a lot of uncertainty may exist too, is within these transitions. And I think normalizing that, like, yeah, you may both be 
excited about and unsure about and sad about and afraid of whatever comes next or what you're in right now. And let's be in that together. Let's look at it together and let's move through it together. I know you had mentioned earlier in the last four years, there's been a little bit of a shift in the work that you do with clients in terms of what might get a sense that they live in a society or within a family where there's different views and feeling that they have less of a sense of being supported in their gender or sexuality choices. And I know it's kind of relevant with the new with the election coming up in you know just a few short months. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how that has come up in your work with clients in Los Angeles? Yes, certainly. So I think a lot of my clients and a lot of people are now, and this is in light of the presidency the last four years, and also with the Me Too movement, are looking at their own experiences that they may have really disregarded and considering how some of their experiences didn't honor who they are, who they have experienced violations, maybe they had experienced sexual assault, and they hadn't even named it as such. So folks are coming in and are doing this really hard work with a backdrop in which they're living in a society where they don't feel supported right now either, necessarily. So it's painful work, but I think that it's it's coming to a head because of both the Me Too movement and Trump being the president. What I found is that in doing this work, folks have been really vulnerable and it's been really transformative. It's been really painful. And I, I think about the role of the therapist and I can't fix what's happening in the world. I can't undo a lot of how we were all socialized, a lot of what has created an environment in which folks have their boundaries violated and and have to then live with that. But what I can do as a therapist is offer my clients a safe place to recognize that they are not at fault, offer them a safe place to consider the narrative that they've been living with and the impact that it's had on them and how how they want to change it and to externalize some of what they've internalized to process the shame. And I think what I've come to really recognize too is that in in holding responsibility and holding the shame, it's a way of holding on to some concept of power or control and that's really scary to let go of. And so in my work with clients too, it's it's been about recognizing that and then looking at the gray and understanding that things aren't always black or white and that they can see that the individual who violated their boundaries is responsible. And also if they you know, see a piece of themselves being responsible, that, that can exist too. But where does the larger percentage lie and how can they recognize that process, their feelings, work through this trauma I'm wondering if you've noticed that with the Me Too movement that more people have kind of been forced to confront their sexual traumas in a way that maybe before that movement, you know, it wasn't brought to their sense of, not memory, not that they're repressed memories, but, you know, in terms of saying, you know, this happened to me and I want to process this. I want to, you know, no longer kind of push it aside. And I I want to kind of bring it to the forefront of my consciousness and work through that. Yes. Yeah. I do think that that's really, there's been a big shift and it's interesting too, because I think some of it is generational and I've worked with some clients where they've named that their mothers or grandmothers were, some are really in support of the Me Too movement and some have been really 
confused or uncomfortable about it. And I think that even that names how challenging it has been to do this work of confronting these boundary violations. I think for some, there's this idea of like, well, this is just what happens. Deal with it. And what do you mean this isn't this isn't normal? Or what do you mean this is a problem? Like this just is. And if we if I can think about that with compassion, I can also understand that having to really confront these things can be really painful. And then again, calls into question our power, our control, and having to confront trauma can be really difficult for those reasons. But for many clients, even though it is, maybe they wouldn't have done this work if Trump wasn't the president or if the Me Too movement hadn't really taken off the way that it has. It has been really empowering for them in understanding the impact of this experience, understanding the way that they had conceptualized it and finding a way to move move through it and move on from it so that it doesn't define them, that they can kind of reclaim their sexuality, reclaim their identity and feel more empowered, ideally. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think you're talking about when you were mentioning kind of some family members are supportive, some are not, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, if you think about it, in, in the individual's sense of who they are, if they, you know, with the Me Too movement allowed them to say, your experience was important, right? Mm-hmm. And your experience deserves to be discussed and healed in a way, right? Instead of ignoring it or dismissing it. Right. And that it's a real thing that happened to you and that the impact is real. And I think what I've heard from a lot of friends, family, clients is that when we think about sexual assault, we think about rape, we think about boundary violations. You know, we think about, oh, there's a man hiding in the dark alley with a knife or a gun and they can draw the line there that that was a a clear trauma. But for a lot of women, their experiences haven't been that clear cut. And so then they've gone into this this file of like, oh, I'm not sure what this was. It didn't feel good, but I'm going to put it away. And it wasn't really a big deal. Maybe it's just not something that I want to think about too much. Or maybe it didn't really happen the way that I remembered it. Or uh, I don't know. It's just a, a thing. And now having to, to open this this file, sometimes it's one file, sometimes it's a whole file cabinet of experiences in which your boundaries weren't honored, where you felt violated, where you, and maybe you said yes to something you didn't want to say yes to, or you didn't have the opportunity to say no. Of course, it's unsettling, and it can be so incredible to really now sit with, wow, I didn't feel like I had a choice, or this impacted me in ways that I, I didn't recognize, and I've been you know, experiencing these things because of this happening, but I didn't really see that until now. So how can we move forward now that we are really looking at all of this with, with different eyes, with a different lens than we may have grown up with? Yeah, right. I mean, I was just thinking about how helpful this could be for, for people who are thinking about talking to a therapist in the context of kind of previous sexual traumas or traumas surrounding exploring gender identity or sexuality. And I think this idea of just the acceptance and understanding that they get when they're with the right therapist that really does embrace you know them in that moment and who they are and allow them to just have that space that it really goes a long way. Yeah, I do think having a safe place to do this work, a soft place to land is so important for so many of us. And in listening to your previous podcast, I was struck by how many different types of therapists there are. And of course, I know that logically, but listening to all these different voices, I thought how beautiful that we all have a chance to find someone who 
we can connect with, whose personality maybe complements ours or who we may feel safer with. And we all have such different approaches. So I think having space where you feel safe to do this work is so important and where you feel like this therapist is going to get you and speak your language and support you, right? Whatever that's going to look like is so important. Well, I appreciate, we could go on and on about these <laughs> topics. And, and I think maybe we should have separated them a little bit because there's so much to go over. But I think what we did was just, I think, give the listener a chance to just understand, you know, a therapeutic approach to this, right? Mm-hmm. And not necessarily explore gender and sexuality in its entirety, mm-hmm. but more about, you know, if someone is wondering about these things that are going on within them, themselves and their history, what it would feel like to explore that with somebody. And I think that's actually what we accomplished today. Thanks, Josephine. I mean, I think we could talk, anyone could talk about gender and sexuality for days, if not weeks and months and years. (laughs) But I do think there's room for us to explore those things in therapy. So my hope is that that's what people can really see given our day. Right. Well, I, I really appreciate your time just kind of talking talking me through this and giving me a little bit more of an insight in terms of how you you walk with patients through this process. I will make sure that your website is on the description of the episode so the listener can learn a little bit more about you. Is there anything maybe you'd like to say to the listener before we say goodbye? I mean, my hope for my clients, my hope for all folks that are listening is that you are taking really good care of yourself and that if you find that you need support, that you know that there is support out there for you and that you find someone that can help you have compassion for and acceptance of who you are. Is there anything that, you know, if someone's maybe considering therapy, but not quite sure yet about it, how they can maybe learn more about there a kind of therapist that might focus more specifically on these topics or maybe kind of a way to direct the listener? So as someone who's been in and out of therapy since I was really young, I worked with therapists that were really helpful and some that were really unhelpful and some that were harmful. So what I hope is that clients, when they are seeking therapists, can find someone that they really do feel is going to support them and they feel safe with. And if you are wanting to talk about or work on understanding your sexuality in therapy, then I think it's totally appropriate to bring that up during a consultation call with a therapist and see how they respond. And if you're comfortable and confident in their response, terrific. And if you're not, if you got off the phone and there's something unsettling about the exchange, then I would encourage you to trust that and to make another phone call because this work is going to work. You're going to do the best therapeutic work if you are sitting with someone that you're confident about and you feel safe with and you can trust your gut in choosing that person. I like that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Saba. And I'm excited to you know have this out and as a resource to the listeners. So thank you. Thank you. I hope that it's All right. someone. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Bye. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and offices in downtown Los Angeles, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina Del Rey, and Echo Park, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thank you for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.